how would you feel if someone you loved was taken down? America, Rosa did sit on that bus. Please don't let them divide us. You are tuning into Latino Politics and News with Tony Diaz on 90.1 FM, KPFT, Houston, Texas. The era of Hispandering is over. Thanks for tuning into Latino Politics and News. This is Tony Diaz. We recorded the show remotely for broadcast on Tuesday, June 9th, 2020. Today, we have a program that will address some of the social discrimination that has been with us for generations and has led up to the current crises involving the slain of George Floyd. Because we are still practicing social distancing policies here at KPFT, we can't broadcast live and therefore can't comment in real time on the slain of George Floyd. However, we can continue in our decades-long mission to address a lot of the social discrimination that has gotten us here. On today's program, we speak to two activist icons from Houston that know the history, have made policy change, and are with us as we get through this and demand structural change on the other side of this. At the top of the show, we'll talk to legendary activist and now general manager of KPFT, Jude Domboni, who will give us a profound analysis of some of the policies that need to be addressed and some of the historical moments that have been overlooked. On the second half of the show, we'll talk to Johnny Mata, Latino activist icon who has been involved in many of the important civil rights work that has helped improve lives in Houston, Texas, and demanding and seeing social changes. We speak to both of them in an effort to heighten awareness and get us ready for the continued work that will be necessary to change a lot of the practices that continue to keep our communities down. That's what our show is about. We are off pledge drive. However, if we were a commercial station, we probably couldn't bring you most of the topics that we address week in, week out. We hope that you can still make a donation to KPFT. You can visit kpft.org and make your pledge online in the name of Latino Politics and News. It does our part to keep this 50-year project in free speech and deep thoughts continuing, and we hope that we bring more and more people to the table. Thanks to our crew for donating the cultural capital to keep this program going. Leti Lopez, Rodrigo Bravo, who mixes the show remotely, Claudia Soler Alfonso, Jesse Aranda Comer, who is our summer intern through Rice University, Laurie Flores, Stefano Cavasa, Al Castillo. I'm happy to join you every Tuesday from 2 p.m. to 3 p.m. for Latino Politics and News here on 90.1 FM KPFT. 
That's followed by Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say at 6 p.m. And I also get to see you on the political talk show, What's Your Point, on Fox 26 Houston, Sundays at 7 a.m. This is Tony Diaz with Latino Politics and News. Thanks for tuning in. When I was young, I used to wave a smile at the Thanks for tuning in to Latino Politics and News. This is Tony Diaz. The slain of George Floyd has revealed to some folks the racial inequities of America. Other folks have fought to survive, defy, and overturn those inequities. Here at KPFT, we've been broadcasting shows remotely, and sometimes we record weeks ahead of air dates. We're not going to try to cover the death of George Floyd second by second. Instead, we're going to continue to profoundly examine the generations-long structural discrimination that's gotten us here. And we're going to talk to our community brain trust to get us through this. For that reason, we're joined today by Judon Boni, General Manager of KPFT. 
First of all, welcome to your show on your station, Judon. <laughs> it's the community <laughs> station, but one that I'm happy to be a part of, Tony. Glad you're with us as well. I appreciate that. And I want to remind folks a little bit about you. Of course, you are iconic in our community, but I do want to remind folks that you attended the University of Texas at Austin, where you became yeah. involved in black and brown student activism at that time. And at that time, I imagine it was a lot different than it is now. We know you got the pipes for TV and radio. After you did TV and radio, after that, to the Urban League, you became the chairman of the National Black United Front chapter in Houston. You later served as Houston City Councilman for District D and as Mayor Pro Tem. You dedicated three years to the Free Clarence Bradley campaign in order to exonerate a man falsely accused of the rape and murder of a white woman in Conroe. And then you spent time bridging African and U.S. relations. You advanced economic initiatives in Africa. And you secured grants to process the Mickey Leland Papers at Texas Southern University while you served as the Associate Director for the Mickey Leland Center, which is very important to preserve our history and culture. You're also on the front lines as black and brown students forge coalitions based on mutual interests at UT. You're also there during the desegregation of the Houston Independent School District, and you watched how it affected students of color. Now, as interim director of KPFT Houston, you bring all of that to the table. You bring that intelligence and sensibility to a station that's 50 years old, whose mission is now more important than ever. Let's start with that, Judon. What should the role of a progressive radio station be at this very time? Well, I think we're uniquely positioned because we're not a commercial radio station. We're a public service radio station. We're nonprofit. So that means we're not bound or hindered by commercial interests. We can really dig deeply into issues and concerns that sometimes the commercial television, radio, and newspaper outlets don't deal with. So we can deal with them with depth, with the kind of diversity, and the kind of um, conscious integrity that some of the commercial stations are hindered by. I think those limitations, too, affect how they cover these moments and really the, the way that coverage plays a role in history or not. So, for example, a lot of mainstream media is focusing on the role of police at this time, obviously. That's vital. But that's just one part of a broader picture. So KPFT is all about representation of black and brown voices, which there's not enough of on mainstream media. And Latino politics and news, Nuestra Palabra, we're always advocating for more education in our communities. So you, as a former city councilman, what are some of the key areas that we should be focusing on to address structural discrimination? One of the things that has been interesting to me as I have monitored and watched the coverage and media discussion coming out of the, the tragic death, but this has been going on all along. Mm. This is just one that was caught on camera that caught the public attention. All of these issues, racial discrimination, lack of diversity, excessive force, this is not new. This has been a continuing saga that we have not been able to resolve at the local, state, or the national level. This has just brought it back to the front and uh, become a national issue. But this is nothing new for us. In the case of Clarence Brandley, 
Clarence Brindley was on death row for 10 years. But the fact of his innocence and the injustice and racism that were a part of his case had been there for years and decades, and it exists today. So this is just another example, a poignant example, of how far we need to go and what we need to continue to address. Well, I'm proud that we can all come together through the station and through the shows that we put on the air to bring some of that history back because it evaporates. It erupts, then evaporates. Given that, give us a context on the evolution of some of the different facets that people are trying to implement now. So, for example, we're going to hear a lot more about citizen review boards. How can those structures be given more teeth, and what role can that approach, as well as others, play at this time? You know, I was thinking about that because um, it was some, I'm going to say 20 or 30 years ago, certainly when I was on city council, that was in 97, 98, 99, 2000. And before that, in the uh, early 90s, and, you know, I used to meet with the executive staff of the Houston Police Department once a week. Police were very opposed to civilian review boards. I used to wonder why. You know, we would debate it, discuss it, and they were just adamantly opposed, saying that, well, they didn't have the, the, the training. They wouldn't be able to view the information objectively and make recommendations. They were just adamantly opposed. But we've seen in other cities, in other states, civilian review boards have worked well. And I think it's time to have that discussion again when there's not a case of overt racism or discrimination. I think what we see as we look across the country is that we continue to need uh, more civilian oversight. We know how and have done it successfully in other places. And the problem of diversity in law enforcement, the problem of police accountability is still real. And we need to address it in order that we can not only have justice, but we have equity and real collaboration between the community and law enforcement. That's that's deep. I like what you're saying, especially because it seems at this moment our numbers are used against us because there's a lot of us in different pockets, times how many cities, times how many states, and kind of like you alluded to, maybe something's working somewhere else, but that's in a silo and not and not spread out. C- can you think of any other lessons we can learn from the past? Because you've mentioned past cases that, unfortunately, I have to confess, have fallen off of my radar, but then pop up again, and then... Like you mentioned, there are some practices that have worked, but in a moment of this crisis, it's hard to sit down and sift through it, but it also takes that sort of hard work time and time again. And like you said, meeting with the community and law enforcement and other entities when there's not a crisis as well. So what can we learn from the past that we might have overlooked? One that I would say would be transparency. There's no reason for 
these investigations, these videos, except in the case where there's prosecution or potential prosecution. But we need to be transparent. And one of the reasons why there's often a lack of trust between the community and law enforcement officials or public officials is the lack of transparency. It's like, well, what is it there to hide? And if the community could see all of the information, they would likely be more confident in the decisions that are made in terms of enforcement. We should have nothing to hide on either side or the community side. I'm thinking of Breonna Taylor. The police uh, entered uh, her home, and it was not clear that they were trying to serve a warrant and search her house. Mm -hmm. uh, this is just recently. And the boyfriend, not realizing that they were law enforcement, fired his gun, and an officer was wounded. But they fired back, I think something like 18 or 20 shots, and killed her. And they found out that, one, they were at the wrong house. This lady did not have a warrant for her, had done no crime. There were no drugs in the house. And so basically a tragic mistake was made. And somebody that was innocent lost her life. If there were different procedures in place, we might have avoided the whole tragedy, an innocent person who done no wrong still being alive. Let me ask you one last question. Uh, I want to talk about black and brown unity. Of course, that could be a whole series of shows because that's not taught in school. So most students don't realize that Chicano Brown Berets marched with the Black Panthers during the civil rights movements of the 70s. And more recently... You had CNN reporter Omar Jimenez, who was arrested covering the protest in Minneapolis. Not only was a right reporter next to him not arrested and was treated differently, but mainstream media didn't understand that he's Afro-Latino. So there's a large portion of our communities that are already united historically. That flies under the radar of mainstream media. Give us your insights on the role that black and brown unity can play at this time. When I was at the University of Texas, when I first entered uh, the university after graduation from high school, we formed the first black-brown coalition uh, in the history of the University of Texas at Austin. And many times we have wrongly and incorrectly uh, not realized that many of our issues are the same. People of color. Black and brown people are often pitted against each other when there's really no reason because we have more in common than we have in, in, in differences. And it's really the lack of an understanding and lack of an interaction. I was also a part of organizing a number of black-brown coalitions in Houston uh, at the Urban League, Johnny Mata who's one of the legendary Hispanic uh, leaders in the Houston community. And we're interviewing him on the second half of the show. Yeah, he's, he's one of my, my, my good and closest friends. And we've done a lot of good work together. I think it's uh, us having a deeper understanding of the issue of race, culture, 
and class, and that many times the dominant, and that would be why the community has emphasized our different cultures and issues to their advantage to exploit those when really we have much more in common than we do in, in terms of differences. We're a multicultural community, a multicultural country, and we need to have more multicultural understanding. Well, I'm really glad that you've worked on that and you bring that history to the table because at the George Floyd march, and I saw a lot of Chicanos, Chicanas, Latinx folks, Latinos supporting Black Lives Matter. How come that doesn't make news? Well, because we don't control the news, and that's one of the reasons why KPFT is so important. Because we, as part of our mission, as part of our beginning, we celebrate diversity. We want to give voice and an opportunity for those voices and views to be heard and understood. That's part of what we do. So we need to create more and more and ever more opportunities for us to interact and discuss issues with each other. And that's why I'm so glad and happy that you are part of the KPFT family and create these opportunities for greater multicultural understanding. Thanks for all you do. We're happy to all march together. Keep changing the world. Thank you, Judon Boney. Thank you, Tony. discrimination that has shaped the different facets that have led us to this point that we're in today. Of course, since we are not broadcasting live due to social distancing policies here at KPFT, we can't comment on the George Floyd crisis 
on a moment-by-moment, real-time basis. However, we have been diving into all the structural issues forever, and we want to talk to another important icon from our community who has been battling these issues for a long time, Johnny Mata. First of all, welcome to the radio program, Johnny. Thank you, and um, I'm glad to participate because this is what puts out the need for action in our communities, and hopefully that your audience grow as time goes on, because our message is, what are you doing to for social change? Don't ask what we're doing. Let us ask what you're doing to change the deficits, the discrimination, and the exclusion and disenfranchise of people of color. That just shows how you talk the talk and walk the walk for a long time. I do want to give a formal bio about you for the few folks in Houston that may not know who you are. I'm going to refer to a profile written about Mr. Johnny Mata that appeared in the Houston Chronicle, written by a Latina journalist for now. However, I will be writing about Mr. Mata, and I'll also be organizing a special tribute reading as part of my project Latinx Icon in the near future. It's funded in part by the city of Houston to the Houston Arts Alliance. To me, it is vital that we focus on folks that have been fighting this fight for a while. I want to tell folks you are the director of the Greater Houston Coalition for Justice. You are the youngest of 11 brothers and sisters, orphaned when their mother died when you were six. And you've got a long history here in Houston's second ward. You attended several schools and you worked your way up. The quote says you were a paper boy working in a tailor shop, doing chores at a small factory, and you told them you name it, you did it, you worked where you could. (laughs) (laughs) You could not finish your formal education at that time. You went into the U.S. Army. You served overseas patrolling the borders in Germany during the Cold War era. You came back and continued your activism here in Houston, and soon you were the head of the Civil Rights Committee for District 8, for the League of United Latin American Citizens, also known as LULAC, the nation's oldest Hispanic service organization. And you were involved in several major moments in Houston history, including the Joe Campos Torres incident, which was a terrible moment in our history when an innocent man was murdered by police neglect. You brought that to the attention, among with many other activists, and I want to point out that although I may focus on you right now, you always defer the spotlight, and this is a lot of community work, but we also have to point out that it always takes someone to be leading the charge. You were co-founder of the Latino Learning Center, which is vibrant and does a lot of work for the community. It's a nonprofit serving low-income elderly and the disabled with educational housing and daycare programs. I do want to get to in a little bit the work you've done for addressing the whole issue of selecting grand jury members. Previous to what we have now, you were fighting what you were calling the pick-a-pal method, where judges would pick jurors who, to put it simply, were friendly to law enforcement. That changed, and in 2015, Governor Greg Abbott signed a bill changing that. 
And that work also was the subject of a column by Lisa Falkenberg from the Houston Chronicle. And those columns won a Pulitzer Prize. But I think what's really important is that documented history that one of our own made that changed structural discrimination. And that should be a household story. And if it's not, we're going to set you straight today. I'm proud to count him as a mentor and friend. So once again, Johnny Mata, welcome to Latino Politics and News. How are you handling this current moment? You got COVID crisis. You got the George Floyd crisis. You know, I'm a recent survivor or of uh, leukemia, cancer. This is uh, uh, that was in eighteen. I mean, twenty eighteen, and then and uh, previous to that. Uh, I I had had cancer, uh, prostate, and I had others. Uh, so the point of it is, I am a little more cautious because of uh, my health conditions, which uh, I'm not saying is is, is atrocious, uh, but I I um, the like anybody else that I, I'm. Um, I'm one of those persons that, uh, with the immune system, need to be more concerned. I I, I stay in a lot, but I, uh, thanks to modern technology, I we have meetings on Zoom, and I, in fact, I just got out of the one uh, on a committee that uh, the, the bail bond reform monitoring team, which I've been fortunate to be selected to participate and then of course a coalition and and uh i will say that <clears throat> with probably uh in the vicinity of 50 years in civil rights uh, in lulac and, and others uh this epidemic has turned the world upside down but the impact in many fields towards people of color on areas that our predecessors and many of them that are no longer with us in the civil rights field, legislative, litigative, made so much advancements in this country and women and the disabled, and I could go on. But the epidemic has really devastated a lot of the gains. And even though the laws are in the book, uh, it's going to take years uh, to bring back those persons that were uh, rift or laid off or whatever from all levels in of employment, whether it's uh, the corporate world, which has what they call government contracts, mandates, and affirmative action to receive federal funds. Uh, a lot of that has gone on the uh, technically uh, has gone down the wind uh, down out the window rather. And then, of course, we also have 
the nation has identified some of the ills that health and education, housing, that has plagued a lot of the people of color communities. And it, it was an issue that everybody knew or a lot of people knew about it. But now with the epidemic and now the um, death of uh, George Floyd, the high, the numbers of people protesting on the street, that a lot of numbers are, a lot of them are Anglo, white, whatever you want to call it. And it's a very diverse group. And the, the, really shows that America is reawakening up to the injustice that have been faced by people of color for many years. And we hope that in all those topics that I, I mentioned to you, that we will have a conservative effort to rectify the injustice, even the playing field for everyone, but more so address the hatred in America that all a lot of, of the community, I'm not just saying a few, but especially the younger generation that is coming up the ranks that it will take over the torch after we're gone. I think there's hope, inspiration, and of course, religious will have to play a major for, uh, number of those persons that have ill will and hatred in their hearts. Let's focus on one of the frameworks that you mentioned. A lot of the social inequities that have been in place attributed to the factors and the racial bias that led to the killing of George Floyd and have also played a role in the unfair distribution of the worst effects of the COVID-19 epidemic. In other words, coronavirus is having a disproportionate impact on black and brown communities. What are some other factors we should be looking for as we proceed for justice, stabilization, to try and thrive in this post, post-protest, post-coronavirus era? You mentioned health. You know, the, before, before all of this had occurred, we had some debates on stage where people were talking about health insurance People were talking about access to health care. Tell, tell us about how that role plays a part of the social inequity that leads to these eruptions. First of all, let me do a shout out for all those people in the health profession, the clerks and stock boys and girls at in the grocery stores, the drivers that deliver, 
the men and women in blue, uh, and all of those that many of them lost their lives because of uh, their commitment to serve. Uh, I think we owe a big uh, applause and uh, appreciation to all of the, the the doctors and nurses and every individual that risked their life for us. Second is that what the epidemic did is identify the the status that we known for many years uh, on, on the health needs and the quality or inequality inequality of service delivery. Uh, And it not doesn't include only people of color, but white people, white persons uh, that have not had the needs and, and the disparity on pay and the ability to have the money sent their children to school, and uh, the vehicle, which is education, uh, to elevate any group status. That's one. The other point that we got to look at, that right along with the epidemic uh, and the social ills that were identified, uh the people that the the persons that were more prone to contact the virus and have a harder time because of health condition in the past uh of, for survival persons the ill preparations of America to face the epidemic whether it's politically or whichever you want to call it. And that in itself uh, contributed in, in, in some way to the uh, to the results of the epidemic. Uh, I do want to mention something that before I forget in the conversation and the George uh, Floyd's uh, death. About 11 years ago, uh, or maybe eight, I I don't, um, I think it was 2002, there was a Mexican immigrant uh, that came to visit the family in Baytown, Texas. And he was having some problems with blood pressure went to the hospital and left and was the or uh, he was in the streets and got arrested by the um Baytown police and the similar situation that happened to George Floyd happened to him when they detained him they threw him to the ground the knee on the on the on the neck and the the um, the grand jury 
allowed the officers to walk, and the federal government uh, didn't want to touch the case because I, I guess just like a lot of the other cases that we talked about, it was it's been the criminal justice system that uh, the scales of justice have not always been balanced. And so I can never forget that case. And I can't forget the Jose Campos Torres case, which a young man returning in 1977 from uh, Vietnam was arrested at a bar and then beaten up, taken to jail, and they said, no, you need to take this man to the hospital. Then they took him back to what they called the hole, beat him up again, and threw him in the bayou. And where then on a Sunday morning, uh, they found the body uh, floating, but a young rookie had spilled the beans. Uh, I guess his conscience was a, a lot better than some others had been in the force too long. Having said that, they, so the, uh, this is nothing new for some of us that been walking the earth a little longer. And, uh, but all of this protests and marching and I'm talking about the peaceful marching that, that people of all ages and all all races have demonstrated uh, gives signs of hope and that not only the legislation but policies and police departments that we will eventually someday see justice for all. At the same token, the disparity in education and health and others uh, is taking um, a second look or third look or whatever numbers. And I, th I think that we, we've gone into an area that has examined our conscience and all of these areas it will probably make our communities more loving, more caring, more giving. Well, it's vital that our community find out about previous cases, previous injustices for many reasons. But I think the mainstream media isn't built to preserve that history. We're not getting that history in schools. We're not getting Mexican American studies or African American studies at every single school. On that note, earlier we interviewed Judon Boney, who sends his regards and spoke highly of you. And he mentioned uh, the Free Clarence Bradley campaign, which was created in order to exonerate a man falsely accused of the rape and murder of a white woman in Conroe. What role have all these cases played? Should we be surprised that they've been ignored by history? And should we be scared that the George Floyd case will be swept under the rug and forgotten by history, too? Or 
should we take this as a lesson and demand that all these histories stay alive in our minds? My answer to you only lies on the citizens of this country and and the remembrance of what happened throughout the years and then their real effort to get involved in whatever organization and the Sierra Club, whatever uh, LULAC and WACP, the PTA, you name it. There's more than room because history has shown us through studies and through reality looks that less than 10% of the membership really participate in a meaningful way and many of other people have normally wanted status without working for for the the goals and missions of the organization so i i hope that that the the involvement in this country on what they've seen on the media to to turn around and don't leave it to Mikey to do it all. For you to to, to reduce the number of videos, watching the uh, TVs and soap operas and whatever, and it doesn't matter who you are. Set aside time from your busy schedule to do meaningful things for others. And uh, and how many times have you gone before to city council, to commissioner's Mm -hmm. court, in a project that your neighbors complain, but you leave it to the neighbors to resolve, whether it's environmental, that creates harm to your neighborhood, uh, the epidemic, in other words, that realizes that we're indefensible on a lot of health issues that requires our money, our attention, and making your elected officials accountable or what they got elected to do. That that might be key in this struggle because it sounds like what you're saying is that the actions that we all are undertaking right now while the attention is on this is important. However, the real work is in consistently being engaged, as you said, school board, city council, county commissioners, audience, go and testify, be involved. That's the kind of work that keeps us from getting into these crises in the first place, but that is the harder work. And speaking of these organizations, again, you you walk the walk and talk the talk. You've been called Mr. Lulac. Lulac is one such group that people get get involved with. It's it's over ninety years old. <laughs> now, 
of course, uh-huh. the the tragedy of it all is a lot of our listeners, because it is a show that we've worked with. I'm a member of Lulet Council 60, so our listeners are going to be familiar with the organization. However, there may be a lot of young folks who are not, or non-Latinos who are not, for different for different reasons, even though LULAC is one of the oldest civil rights organizations in the country. What role should LULAC have and play in this era, and what are some ways people can get involved? Well, n- number one, these organizations have a history of doing. But all the way to the grassroots level, which is in the neighborhood, it's the councils within the community that uh, do the work, the upward mobility from the bottom up. And what I mean by that, you participate, fight in discrimination and education and all that, but it takes people. The other thing, whether you're Hispanic, black, or others, you also have a role. You know, the the work of individuals is done on a volunteer basis. They sacrifice themselves from their families, just like the PTA and others, uh, being away from your families, spending so much out of your pocket to be able to, to carry out the work. And so... When the resources as far as monetary come in, uh, you know, they they have to do fundraisers. And in the fundraisers, the whole community should go and support the efforts because that is the money that goes into scholarships, uh, in some cases, uh, there might be a person that has no insurance and has not been taken care of by the hospital district. So these are things that the individuals inside the organization and outside can do to help uh, towards a problem. The other thing that we got to look at, too, let's look at the entertainment field where you have Houston First Corporation that would administer the facilities of the city, whether it's uh, Gaswaram or wherever. The revenues that come in from the tourist industry and others are handled by this corporation. And they don't have the best track record as distributed the funds uh, in a way that is fair and just to nonprofit groups that are out there uh, where they're helping in the arts and whatever art you want. Uh, the, these are the emphasis that are controlled by our elected officials at City Hall by the mayor and city council and what have you. This is where your organization, whichever it may be, put the pressure 
because all of these elected officials work for us. They get elected by us. They have to respond to our needs. And you can fire, you're the employer, you can fire them or rehire them. But our mindset is so occupied with me, 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 and not thinking what other role do I hold society and the community besides go, uh, serving in the church choir uh, and all of these things. You have multitasks to deal with in the community to keep your community safe, uh, improve the quality of life for all communities. So those are the things that the community as a whole has to deal with. And we need to stop being greedy and help the needy and distribute our resources and share our wealth in a way that really, I, I don't want to sound like I'm preaching, but we answer to a, a power greater than us. And uh, these are the things that you're taught at whatever religious or church you belong to. So we need to practice what we preach. And we need to change our mindset. And, and let me tell you another thing further that you brought up in, in regard to hate and biases. That begins at home. What the parents in their choice of words the meaning of other ethnic groups. Hate sometimes is spread at home. It's carried to the schools and throughout life. It's just like leadership. You're not born a leader. You have to develop the leadership skills that you obtained by the, your predecessors. And then it's all on your commitment. What is my, commi my commitment to life? It's just me, me, me? Or is it how much time am I going to be put and lifted the lives of others that are not as fortunate as I am? That's vital for people to hear. You're giving us an ethical approach to everyday existence, but you're also giving us direct homework. Let's put a cap on what you're saying. You mentioned Houston First. Their funding comes through the hotel occupancy tax, which is down because tourism is down. And pretty soon, we're going to see where the money will be allocated because right now, there's an easy justification to stop funding arts and culture. And as you mentioned, Houston First, they maintain such facilities as Talento Bilingue de Houston, and what you're saying is that we need to pay attention because right now it's an easy time for entities to say, well, we're not going to fund art and culture. But as you just mentioned, especially at this moment, our communities, our families need culture, art to thrive, to heal, and to build bridges. I could have said it better. <laughs> 
close this out because I've seen you thrill a town hall. I've seen you fire up audiences of thousands of people. Give us those words of wisdom as a parting gift. I can simply tell you what I have always perceived the root of the problem. We might say that we don't discriminate. We may say that we're pure and we don't have no hatred and no anger and all those good stuff. But each of us are accountable for our actions and reaching out within us because the success of this nation depends how we all get along and how we treat each other. And that really hatred has no place in America. Thank you for those inspiring words. Thanks for all you do. And thanks for changing the world, Johnny Mata. Well, uh, it's not me. It's the people that listen to do what they're asked to consider. And I want to thank you for your hard work and promoting the values and justice and injustice that are going on. And, and I really admire that. Hopefully you will continue. Thank you so much. That means a lot. I appreciate it. Okay. Gracias. Gracias a usted y a la comunidad que tiene que despertar un día y no es muy tarde. Saying that, thank all of you, because we got to wake up and rise to the occasion, and the time to wake up is now, not mañana nor tomorrow. <laughs> Esa es la que no quiere, pero llama de madrugada. Terminaste sin ropa otra vez, pidiendo que te tocara. Eh, esa es la difícil, pero se va. Anda con la amiga, siempre arrebata. Pidiendo que le llegue, eh, que ella me entregue. Eh, pidiendo que le llegue, eh, aunque Since 1970, KPFT has been driven by people giving their free time to answer phones, sweep floors, run soundboards, and much more. Unlike commercial radio, passion, not advertising dollars, fuels the radio you hear. Do you have a few minutes to lend a hand? Volunteers come from virtually every walk of life and support our operations at any hour of the day or night. Call 713-526-4000. To learn more about volunteering at KPFT or visit kpft.org to download a volunteer application. If you're on a limited budget and can't afford a pledge right now, volunteering just a few hours a month can qualify you for membership. If you run a business, your effort and materials could be considered a tax write-off or support of this nonprofit radio station. Again, that's 713-526-4000 or visit kpft.org. This is commercial free, listener Sponsored Pacifica Radio, KPFT, Houston.
Every week, we get letters, emails, and phone calls saying thanks. Thanks for playing a piece of music. Thanks for keeping listeners up to date on events in our area. Thanks for introducing our fans to new talent. Now we're asking you to say thanks in a very tangible way. We're asking you to make a pledge. 